continuing on in Philippians. I started chapter 3 last time. And again, Philippians 3 begins with talking about it's safe to write the same things and just to remind things. So I like to start out by going over where we've been, the gist of the book, I think the point that God's trying to get to us just so that we can take it all in the context as we get there. So um, we'll do a little rehash, but let's pray first. Father, I just thank you that that we win, Lord, not because of anything. It's just because we're in you, and uh, we chose you to fight for us. And we thank you that we have that blessed hope that we don't have to strive that we don't have to even worry. Lord, all we have to do is rest and have faith and trust in you and enjoy what you've already done for us, Lord. And you know, Help us to not get out ahead of you, uh, to, to lag behind, just to enjoy your presence, Lord. You're the one doing everything. Uh, Lord, you told us without you we can do nothing. And we, we're, we're learning that. Help us to uh, allow you to be in control and to govern things and to fill us and to do what it is that you want to do. Lord, we want to be to the place where we have your thoughts and your words come out of our mouth. And like you said, that we would be your body, that you would be living in us and through us. Um, that's, that's what you desire, Lord. That's where we find peace and rest and comfort. Um, yet dying is difficult, Lord. We just ask for help. And uh, we know that you're willing, Lord. The, the flesh is weak, Lord. But help us not forget the spirit is willing. Lord, you are able. And... Uh, just pray that you'd speak to us right now and guide everything that's being said. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Philippians going through difficulty. And I want to bring up remembering and thinking. I've mentioned this, I think, just about every time so far. Mentioned in all four chapters, right? Our mind, what we think about you. And I've quoted a couple times, you can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. God can change your heart, but he won't change your mind. So what do we believe? What do we think? What do we choose to believe? And again, joy is mentioned over 19 times in some form. And uh, just last week, I kind of went through a, an outline looking at the Old Testament and how God set things up. Paul set things up through Romans. Uh, Philippians has an outline, and I found multiple things. And just to go over it quick, there's one. I have uh, this one Bible that I have. It, it talks about four chapters. It's broken down pretty easily because the chapters divided up. Evenly, there's a focus for all four chapters. The focus in chapter one is the account of circumstances. Uh, chapter two is the mind of Christ. Chapter three, which we're in tonight, is the knowledge of Christ. And then we talk about the peace of Christ. And it's got kind of divided. There's divisions there. Uh, chapter one is to partake of Christ. Two is the people of Christ. Three is the pursuit of Christ. And four is the power of Christ. And then it, it goes through topically. Chapter one, suffering. And we know that they suffered a lot, and we're called to that. We'll be reading about that tonight. Two is submission. Uh, chapter three, salvation. And chapter four talks about sanctification. So chapter three, the focus, the knowledge of Christ, the division, the pursuit of Christ, and the topic is salvation. And uh, beginning chapter three, we kind of got into that, and we found that there were... Um, The Torah, the, these Jewish traditions and the way that they taught, there's the Torah, which is the law, right? They had their way of understanding what was written in the Old Testament. And again, just as we sang and worshiped, sometimes we can get caught up in what God wants us to do. And that's religion. And it's not bad to do the right thing. But he doesn't want us to do it apart from him. He wants a relationship. And if we are just close to him, we get to see him do it through us. And if we get busy about doing rather than being, then we miss out on the whole point. He, doesn't, he didn't need things to get done, so he decided to make people to do his chores. You know, not like us. That's why we had kids, right? Because we want, maybe your kids do more than mine do. But <laughs> he just wants to spend time with them. He wants to enjoy them. He wants them to appreciate the benefits of things. He, does, he, he just doesn't want us to keep busy. He wants to spend time with us doing things. And sometimes we can get caught up in stuff that we have to do that we forget that we're supposed to be doing it with him. So there's this law, and they kind of misinterpreted the whole thing. So the law isn't bad. Interpreted correctly, it's good. And they had their own rules, like the Talmud, the Gemara, and the Mishnah. We talked about that. Jesus corrected their teaching. He didn't teach a new thing. He taught the old thing properly. And then we talked about how 
Matthew, um, in the book of Matthew, he was telling Peter about loosing and binding, about how they were going to be the ones declaring lawful and unlawful, and then they were to teach what Jesus taught, and they passed it on to others who passed it on to others who now we have it and we're passing it on. And he didn't replace the Old Testament, he just corrected it. In chapter 2, he gave us examples of people to follow, right? We had Timothy and Epaphrodites, these people that were serving God and knew him well and loved him. And then in chapter 3, he tells us, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. So there's people that we should follow and people that we shouldn't follow. And there's, and there's a heart behind that whole process. And that's kind of where we ended last time. So I think if we just, hopefully I'll finish the chapter. Um, I thought I would just begin by reading the first 16 verses. At least, and at least I'll be half done even if I don't get through it all. Uh, covering what we did last time. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. And again, a play on words, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And I think that verse sets up the whole chapter. And it was kind of not odd, not a coincidence, right? There's no kosher coincidence. Um, a lot of the places I was going to go to, Rob touched on this morning. I think there's a thing that's going to be resonating. I think God's speaking to us through this, right? It's not about what we do in the flesh. It's about what we do in the spirit. You can't even know him. You can't go to heaven. You can't see things. You need the spirit of God. And that's just the beginning point. And then we're going to find out that we need to grow in that. Rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more. So Paul gives things that were natural or physical that he went through. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Doesn't get any better than that. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. You can't go farther than that. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, as well as the law can do it. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. All the things that I could do naturally, physically, in the flesh, that I wanted to get closer to know the presence of God actually pushed me farther away from it. Eight, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, so Paul had it hard, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So he didn't lose anything that wasn't worth nothing. He's not sitting there with regret saying, oh, I can't believe I had to go through all that. And sometimes there's a lot of Eeyore Christians, and we can sit there and say, oh, I, had to, I couldn't watch the basketball game tonight. I had to go to church. And we make it sound like we're being spiritual, and all we're doing is actually letting people know how carnal we are. Um, you don't have to do anything. You get to do something, right? Even especially with giving, God tells us that too. If you don't want to give, don't. God loves a cheerful giver. You don't, don't misrepresent him. He's not calling you to do something that he's lacking and that he needs. He, he just wants you to enjoy him. And uh, recently I was talking with a brother yesterday, and I, I've been thinking about that verse, and I couldn't find it. I looked it up when God told David, you know, if that wasn't enough, I would have gave you more. I'm not, I'm not sitting there saying if you, if you suffer... I'm not happy because it's hard for you. I'm happy because you're experiencing who I am and it's healthy for you and you're giving up something to gain something better. That's what makes me happy. Suffering for the sake of suffering doesn't do anything. God doesn't want you to walk around moping. That's why he tells it. If you're, if you're fasting, don't look like you're fasting because don't do it for the wrong reason. For, I'm not pleased just because you're miserable. We don't like being around miserable people either. God doesn't, he, he loves you, but it's not the misery that he loves. He, want, he says that I might gain Christ. There's a goal in what he was searching for. There's a, there's a result for that. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So that's kind of where we covered to last time. And it's about 
this is all in the Old Testament. Righteousness has always been by faith. It's not a new thing. And he, he laid that out very clearly, and we've talked about that in chapter 2 quite frequently. So I'm going to read the next six verses, chapter 10, we could spend weeks on. Um, I'm sorry, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That doesn't mean Paul wasn't sure he was trying hard. If I hope I can get there somehow, he's saying it's worth anything for me to advance. I'd be willing to give anything to get there. 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many of us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. So we see in verse 16, let us be of the same mind. Verse 15, have this mind. He talks about thinking, verse 10, that I may know him. What do you know? What do you think? What is on your head? And that word know is gnosko, right? There's words, three words that you've heard that are Greek. You might not be Greek scholars, but you're probably all familiar with them. Gnosko, dynamis, dunamis, and koinonia. They're all in, they're all in verse 10. This is, this is loaded with one verse that can just me, me, you know, meditate on that verse. Then I may know him. And, that, and God asked, put that on my heart. What do you know about God? We know things. We know verses. I might know scriptures. I might know things about church. I might know things about the Bible. But if somebody asked you, tell me about God, what, how long could you go on? There's a couple things on YouTube. People are spurred it. And sometimes I think we, re- we reveal our own heart. We give things away. I don't know if you've ever said that. Uh, he, he challenged me this week. I don't know why God would love me. Have you ever caught yourself saying that? Or have you ever said that to anybody? It's usually at a point when you're feeling down or depressed or like you blew it. I don't know why God would love me. He challenged me. Don't, don't ever say that again. <laughs> Stop saying that. It's, it's bad doctrine for one. And it's, it's self-thoughtful. I, the, the, the point of it is, is there's nothing about me in my flesh. No, no good thing dwells, which is true. Where does God dwell, love us because we're lovable? First of all, he created us. He, he, I have a sin nature. right? I didn't, he didn't ask me before he created me, hey, Mark, do you want a sin nature or no? Uh, no, I think I can do it on my own without it. So you can give it to me. You can give me a sin nature. I think I got this. And then I blew it. And now he's all like, oh, you thought you, thought you said you could do it. Right? I have a sin nature. I was created with it. We all were. God's not surprised that we sin. He created us knowing that ahead of time, right? And light shone into the darkness. I think he can get there in the beginning of Genesis, right? He had an answer all along. He wants you by faith to believe what he said, that he loves you, that he has a plan, that you can be born again. He knew you were born in the flesh. He wants you to be born of the spirit. You don't have to twist his arm. That's his plan all along. God is love. It's who he is. God's love is awesome. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's the most powerful force in the whole universe. And to think that my sin is more powerful than his love is almost blasphemous. To say, uh, it, it's also getting the focus on me. I don't know if God can love me. You're not greater than God. He, he doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. He never, he never relents of seeking out after you. He's going to come for you. And God just challenged me. If you say, I'm not sure God can love me, if you say that to a non-believer, if you're at work and you're around people that, you don't, that don't know God and you're having a bad day and you, oh man, I don't, I don't know if God can love me, what do they hear? I don't know most of the people you talk to, if you get to talk to them or if they're honest, but they think there's a line. If I'm above the line, I'm okay. If I'm below the line, I'm not okay. And they think that they have to somehow get above the line. Like Rob said this morning, most people think that they're probably okay. I'm not as bad as most. I've, 
I might be bad, I might be in jail, but I think I'm above the line. And if they look at you, hopefully they think that you're above them, not that you are. All you know is God, and you've been forgiven. That's why you're there. But all they hear is, you think that I have to be better than you to get to heaven? Which the truth of the matter is, no, you just have to allow God to love on you. And he does love you. He loves you because he is love. He can't help himself. It's not about us. The focus is on us. You know, I'm not sure that God can forgive me. Again, it's almost his love and his forgiveness is available to everybody. We're doubting his word. He said that he came to do it. Don't doubt him. Just believe him. In your mind, start thinking more about him and less about you, and then you'll just be happy that you're forgiven, not in, instead of surprised that you sin. And uh, another thing I've said and heard lots of people say is I don't want to bother God with the little things. He's busy, so I just pray the big things for him. And, uh, or, you know, Lord, please heal their cold, but it's cancer. We better get a bunch of people here and lay hands on them and pray for half an hour because cancer's a big thing. Uh, again, I understand, and I am that way too, but first of all, what is a little thing? Something that I think is a little thing might not be a little thing to God. I don't know if there are little things. And second of all, there's nothing big to God. So if you're going to take a big thing to God, good luck finding one. He can hold the universe in his hand. He knows everything that there is to know. He's everywhere all at once. He's in every era all at once. He, he knows the name of the numbers of every hair of every person that's ever been. I mean, you, you can't define hard to God. There is no such word. He, he's, he, get close to him. He just wants your time. He wants, he wants you. He wants you to talk to him about little things. Even if our, our mind's not right. So, Gnosko, verse 10, that I may know him that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. The Amplified Bible, verse 10 says, and this, so that I may know him experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely, and in that same way experience the power of his resurrection which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death, dying as he did. I want to experience what he experienced, because we're not going to be able to experience taking the weight of the sin on the world. Thank God. <laughs> Only he could do that. Um, right, Revelation, who is worthy? And he starts weeping. There is none. No, there is one, the Lamb of God. That's why we worship him. But we just want to know him. Gnosko. Vines defines, signifies to be taking in knowledge, to come to know, recognize, understand, or to understand completely. That's what I want to know about him. That's what I want to know about the power of his resurrection. Those two are good with. <laughs> Keep writing that on your refrigerator. That I want to know in the fellowship of his sufferings. Why would Paul want to know and have the fellowship of his sufferings? Paul suffered. Paul went through difficult things. It's a way that we get to know Christ and what he did and how he, he laid down his life. Through Paul's sufferings, he was able to minister to people. God loves people. God loves the world. The world hates him. You can't love something that hates you and not suffer. The suffering, again, is not for suffering's sake. If you truly want to understand God and who he is and what it is like to have his heart and to be made into the image of his son, you're going to have to suffer in order to understand that. In order to learn and grow in true love, there's going to be suffering. And if you're not sitting there thinking it's going to be part of it, when it comes, you're not going to understand what it is and you're going to push away from it. You might call for Satan to be beat down because the enemy is coming. No, it's just part of the plan. It's a, it's, a, it's a package deal. How much do you want to know about the God who saved you? There's a price involved. Are we willing to allow God to do it in us? And grace is, he's going to do it whether you let him or not. <laughs> Some, it's just, it, the, are you going to have joy in it? That's where the Philippians were at. They were going through things they didn't understand. They're, they're, they're going through hard things. They're getting arrested. They're being beaten. And Paul's like, I went through all that, and it's okay. In fact, I need it. 
and, I, and I'm not pushing away from it. Knowledge, right? What do we think of when we think of knowledge? I want, I want to know about Jesus, right? Then there's this whole higher education, higher learning. As kids that went to higher learning, Rob's spoken about that too. What do they know? What is knowledge? Is knowledge good? Well, knowledge is just information, right? Wisdom is what you do with it. You, I, I know people that know a lot more than I do. Some people in front of me can remember people's names that I can't, I can't hardly remember my own name. I left my keys in the motorcycle. They almost killed my battery because I'm an idiot, but that's okay. So what do I know? Knowledge is information, but I know I'm forgiven and I know he loves me. Some people can remember a lot of stuff, and you think they're smart because they can recite it. Some people can remember a lot of the word, and anybody can teach the Bible if they just read it and want to sit up here. The, the thing is, is, do you know what God wants to tell people? Are you his mouthpiece? Are you reiterating what he is telling you that he wants to say to people? That's, that's what a, a teacher does. Freely you've received, freely give. What am I hearing? So wisdom and knowledge are different. Knowledge, the Bible says, knowledge can puff up. It can just make you prideful. It can make you walk around saying, look what I know, and I've got to tell everybody that I know something because I want you to know what I know because I'm smart because I know something. It's all about you. Higher learning can do that. Higher learning is not smarter than God. Some people in the academia world will sit there and tell you about the Bible and what it really means and the words that Jesus really said, and they claim and they think that they're smarter than God. All they're showing you is proving that they're fools. So again, as this morning we were going through, it's not about what we do in our flesh. It's about the spiritual birth and about letting him grow that. If you could flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That I might know him. First, if if you're not born again, you can't have eyes to see it. We learn through the Spirit. Chapter 2, we'll read the whole chapter. Verse 1, And I, brethren, came to you, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this is a guy that studied from Gamaliel, one of the most studious people on the planet at the time, wrote the Book of Romans that people still say is one of the best pieces of literature ever written. This guy's a genius. He's like, you know what, for all of my learning, all I want to talk about is Jesus. Three, I was, in, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. All the people that were claimed to have known something and were religious killed their answer, the thing they were hoping for the thing that they were supposed to be teaching about. Verse 9, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It's written, Old Testament scripture, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered into the heart of man. Think about that for a little bit. The things that God wants to say to you, you can't see, you can't hear. It's not physical. You're not going to be able to figure it out. You weren't meant to be able to figure it out. Yeah, God gave you a brain. Use it. Yeah, but he didn't tell you what heaven was going to be like. He didn't tell you what hell was going to be like. He didn't tell you what ministry is going to be like. Can you sit there and figure out in your own head where I'm supposed to be tomorrow? You don't even know if you have tomorrow. There's things that were not designed for you to be able to figure out on your own. He didn't put you here to be a lone ranger and to go off and do something for him. He planned it that you can't do anything without him. And our pride hates that. My flesh hates that. I'm, especially as an American, I'm in control. Really. Yeah, then get sick. 
or then drive down the road or get in jail or any number of things, lose your job. You can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't even think about it in your heart. In, uh, Dave Hunt, one of my favorite teachers ever, just impressive man, home in glory. Now he's more impressed than he is impressive. But, but he, I remember one time when I was a new believer and I was out at Farmington at a pastor's conference and he was teaching and he was sitting there talking about, you can't come up with anything on your own. Everything that we have is a reproduction of, a, a reprodu, reproduced of something that God made. A flamethrower. That's pretty cool and genius. There's bugs that do that. We saw it and we copied it. He's like, he goes, I'm sitting there, where's he going with this? He's like, we can't create, even Solomon, right? There's nothing new under the sun. He goes, explain to me a new prime color. You can't do it. It's impossible. There's nothing there to grasp from in order to even do it. Come up with, in his whole process, and whole thought was, where did the thought of God come from? If there was no such thing as a God, we couldn't have come up with a thought because we can't make anything. He had to exist. People had to know it. And now we're sitting there. It came from him, and we either do the right thing with it or we mess it all up. But it's there, and it's a truth. Right? You can come up with false gods because you don't understand the, the process of a God. But eye is not seen, ear is not heard, the things which God has prefers. Verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. That is a scary thought. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? God, even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So we can sit there and learn something of God, but the Spirit knows the deep things of God. The simple things of God are hard enough to understand. Now they're telling, there's deep things of God that we can learn. How far do you want to go with God? What are you going to let him do? Verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Isn't that crazy? Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We talked about that this morning. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So natural man can only see what they see, and the one that created everything that they see tells them more, and they look at him and go, that's foolishness. You can't even see if I didn't make your eye. And you're telling the things of God does not make sense, and it cannot make sense. Speaking of Gnosko, in the book, flip with me to First John, please, chapter 2. Rob went there also, but not as far as I'm going to go. First John, chapter 2. The word Gnosko, and there's, again, there's multiple versions of that same word in the Greek, but it's mentioned 14 times just in chapter 2. Uh, the word know or knowledge, nine of them, it's Gnosko. In First John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Paul wants the Philippians to have joy. The only joy comes in fullness of joy is in the presence of the Lord. We have that fellowship with him by what we know to be true about him. Chapter 2, my little children, and just take note of every time the word know or knowledge. What does God want us to know? These things I write to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. 
and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Verse 3, now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. And that word keep means to guard. It means to, so nobody is, keeps the law perfectly. We're sinners. We mess up. It tells us also that if anyone says they're without sin, that they're a liar. But that just means don't change it. Guard it. Don't change what it says. You know, if I want to live in sexual immorality and I know it's wrong, to keep the commandment doesn't mean never have a, a bad thought. Right? I can change my mind. I can't change my heart. He'll give me a new heart, but my flesh is always here. But I don't want to change the fact that what he says is wrong is wrong, just because I don't want it to be wrong anymore. Guard it. Don't, don't let your mind make a convert of your heart and say that I know God says it's wrong, but that's not really what it means, just because I don't want it to be true. Keep it. Verse 4. He who says, I know him, and does not guard or keep his commandments as a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Nine, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Twelve, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Fifteen, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Eighteen. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. It's the very end, because many, many false Christs, Antichrists, have already come in the world. And he wrote this a while ago. How much closer are we now? One of the signs of the end is deception. Wrong teaching about Jesus. We're close. I was used, everyone used to say, America, it's falling, it's bad, I can't believe how bad it is here. And, and God always put in my heart, well, America's not the time clock, Israel is. And now you look at Israel and we're closer than I thought. <laughs> we are on the brink. Be ready, look up. It is the last hour. 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had not been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing, an unction, a charisma from the Holy One, and you know all things. Because you have an anointing, this, the Holy Spirit, you know all things. You know everything? Do you become God? No, you know everything you need to know. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. 24, therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. 
He hasn't promised us we're not going to have difficulty. He hasn't promised us we're not going to suffer. He hasn't promised us things are going to be easy. In fact, the opposite. He's promised us we are going to have those things. But he also has promised he who endures the end shall be saved. And he also promised you're going to have eternal life. And all of those things are going to be gone. He's going to wipe away every tear. 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices Righteousness is born of him. 3.1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The world does not know us because it did not know him and it cannot know him. We shouldn't be looking to them for help. Hopefully they'll be looking for us for truth and that happens when we walk in him and we have truth. Back in Philippians. Again, this is a brief run through of I could spend a lot of time just on this verse 10, that I may know him and the power. And again, I think it's that I might know, I know him, and that I know the power of his resurrection, which, again, what, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Right? And aren't we called to be the living dead? We, we are flesh, baptized, right? Death burial and resurrection and when we come up we don't want to come back up in the same form that we left the same life that we left the same things that were buried we don't want to resurrect that we want to have the the resurrected life of jesus living in us the power of his resurrection think about that what power what authority what can bring a dead man back to life that's what's available to us what kind of life can we have and again this word dunamis it's 77 times it's translated power in the King James. Mighty works 11 times, so it's something that was done mightily takes power. Strength 7 times, miracle 7 times, might 4 times, virtue, mighty, 9 other, other things. The most common verse would probably immediately comes to your mind when you hear of dunamis, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power, dunamis, that same word that's here in Philippians, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So the, the power from the Holy Ghost doesn't come without the Holy Ghost. You can't have the mind of Christ without Christ. You can't have a resurrected life without the resurrected Jesus. And you cannot have the power of the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want to give you something to do. He wants to be with you and work through you. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. And you're probably well taught that word witnesses. Martus, and you shall be martyrs unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea, Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. And it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to allow your life to be laid down and able to, to walk with him. <clears throat> this, this power of the Holy Spirit working through us, if you could flip to Romans kind of ties all these things together. Romans 8. So we have this desire to know God that he's exhorting us to. This desire to know the power of his resurrection and also the fellowship of his suffering. And just in that context, again, verses, nothing earth-shattering. All verses we're very familiar with. 
chapter 8, verse 1, Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And it sounds good when you're talking about saved and unsaved people, but what's the carnal mind? It's, we're all born with it. We all have it. We still have it. It's natural. It's you doing your thinking rather than letting God guide you. Seven, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. Eight, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, which is why I came here from Philippians, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So this spirit-filled life, whatever it looks like, is as radical, God is saying, as to somebody that was dead and came out of the ground is now alive again. That's what a Christian life is supposed to look like. That's normal Christianity. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. This Holy Spirit life should be radical. People should who have known you before you were saved and look at you now should say, what happened to you? Or who are you? You should be a new person. Twelve, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. I shouldn't have control anymore. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And that's something we should be asking ourselves frequently or asking God to answer that for us. Am I being led by the Spirit or am I just going through the motions and am I in control of my own life using my own mind and my own heart? Am I just religious now? I can't deny it. I know it's true. But if I'm not having God lead me, then I have to be leading me. I'll do it in the form of things to try to make it look good because I, I know better and I want to do better. But is the, Spirit of, is the Spirit of God leading me? 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs and of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. There it is again. The Spirit comes in and we're children and we're heirs, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. There's this connection between being glorified with Christ and suffering with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, we're not falling apart because we chose to, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And I just get this picture of what Rob was saying today. It's like a seed, it goes in the ground. Unless it goes in and dies, it can't come out what it wants right? Metamorphosis, Romans 12, right? You want to know what the will of God is. Well, you need to be transformed from the inside out, not being conformed, not pressures from the outside. Don't let the world form you to what you have to be. Let it make your decisions, especially kids. Peer pressure. There's things that come in and pressure you. God says, no, something has to happen from the inside out by my spirit. You need to be transformed, not conformed. 
22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We, we, we live by faith now. Likewise, 26, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I think that's what it means to pray in the Spirit. If you are there, the Spirit knows the mind of God. The Holy Spirit knows what he wants to do. And if you let him, he'll speak through you, whether supernaturally or he'll just put a thought on your heart. He'll give you something to pray for. And I think I've mentioned that before, too, when I was a newer believer. And we used to have the prayer room before church, and there would be many people in there. And I was intimidated. And I wasn't going to open my mouth because I don't want people to know how unspiritual I really am. Because I didn't know how to pray in King James. So I would sit there and I would be like, okay, I, want to, I don't want to sound stupid. That's how, that's how spiritual I was. I just don't want to sound stupid. So I'm not going to say anything. And then eventually I'm like, why am I even coming in here? I can just pray. And then finally, I'm like, God, if you give me something good to pray for, I'll pray it. And then I thought of something to pray for and I got really scared. And I was just about to open my mouth and somebody else prayed for it. Like, great, that was my prayer. So then, now what am I going to say? I'm gonna, now they're going to know. So I, I thought of something else to say. And then the next person prayed it. Like two in a row. Ten times. And God is just basically telling me, this is what I, I'm showing you what it means to pray in the Spirit. So he either gave me a word of knowledge what somebody else was going to pray, or he was leading all of us and we were praying in the Spirit. He's like, this is what's on my heart. And I'm like, okay, I don't need to be the one that says it. I just want to know that I'm actually hearing from you. That's all that matters. I want to know what you're thinking. Praying and the Spirit knows he's God. He's really smart too. God's really smart. We were talking about that in our class yesterday. Humility. How do you become humble? Well, you can't make yourself humble because the fact that you're trying is not humility. And again, I mentioned this before too. If, if a lion was to come in here hungry, you don't have to convince, oh, how am I supposed to be scared? <laughs> it happens. It's natural. It's not wrong. If you are in the presence of God, you don't have to try to, how am I going to let God know I'm not that smart? Or how do I going to come in? I, he, he's smart. You're not going to want You're not going to think that you're smart around him. You're not going to think that you're strong around him. You're not going to think that you're good around him. If you want to be humble, just get before him. It's humbling. It's something that happens to you. It's not something you do. If you're standing in his presence, you're going to be humbled, and that's where we're supposed to be all the time. So this fellowship, knowing him, power in this resurrection, this new life that we're supposed to have, fellowshipping with him in suffering. Back in Philippians, we read the 16. So Philippians 3, 17, again, verse 10, just stuck out to me. You could just memorize that and think about that. There's a couple other verses that also, 317, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So all of those things that were said about them, it's because they're thinking about things on the earth. They're, they're acting natural. This is what's true about every person that's not saved. That's all they can be. I don't want to get up here and think of the best thing to say and in my mind come to a conclusion. I don't need to sit. I want God to show me. I don't want to use my natural mind. 
20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So people that are enemies of the cross, right? 18, for many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping. So this isn't something that Paul takes lightly. And I think they're the Judaizers, the the dogs, the evil workers, the mutilation that he was talking about in the beginning of the chapter. He's like, they're only there. They only understand naturally. They studied the Old Testament. They came to conclusions in their head. They did the best that they could. They wrote it down. And the best that they can do is to draw people away from God. Jesus warned about that. You're making twice the people of hell as, as you are. Trying harder isn't going to do it. You need to die. You need to stop trying, and you need to receive something first. You need to let me tell you. You need to stop and let me do it. Don't try harder. Don't suck it up. Don't study more. Just stop and listen. Right? Like he said, Paul had to go into the desert years to have Jesus explain to him and get things set in order. For many walk, I've told you weeping, that they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. So what is the cross of Christ? It's a place where he paid for the sin. He did everything there. So what is an enemy to that cross? There are people that are saying that you need to do something. It's not the cross. It's you. You need to try harder. You need to obey these rules. You need to be better. Okay, you're a Christian. Okay, good, that's where you started. Now you have to, and there's more. No, you need to let him do it. You need to enjoy him. You need to get close to him and then to spend time with him. There's a lot of things. In the, oh, you know, cheap grace. Well, cheap grace is cheap and it's not real if you're not really saved because then it's just a license to do it if you want and not have guilt. If God shows up, there's a lot of things you're not going to do anymore. I'm not going to look at things if Jesus is sitting next to me while I'm doing it. I'm not going to talk about people behind their back to him when he told me not to do it. If he's there, your life's going to change. So this cross, it's all about just spending time and being with him. The cross did everything. Religion says it's about what you do. So religion is actually these people, they're enemies of the cross. They don't want to just say, God did it, it's okay. It's a they're opposed to anything other than works. And again, we, we went through, he taught through the whole Old Testament. Rob mentioned a couple times today about um, the serpent in the wilderness. There's this picture of the cross in the Old Testament all through it. They could have learned about the cross in the Old Testament, even the Jehovah's Witnesses. I, I used to work with seven of them. I don't think I've ever worked with three Christians in my shop, but I worked at a shop that said seven Jehovah's Witnesses, believe it or not. Um, that's a lot for one, one, one area. And they, uh, we, we would get together, pick a topic. I was a brand new believer, so it helped me learn a lot about what I should, should know. It made me learn my own faith. And we'd pick a topic and study it and debate it. And it never did anything other than help me learn what I'm supposed to know. So it was good for me, but I can't say there's any, any salvation through it. But they obviously, they don't believe in that it was a cross. They think it was a pole. Well, is that really a big deal? I don't know. I think that the Bible says it was a cross. And, and you read through it. But the cross is in, is in the Old Testament. So the serpent, the brass pole, might have been a pole. But another spot um, was Balaam. I don't know if you guys have heard that whole take on it. When Bal- you know, Balaam was, Balaam was a false prophet. Uh, Balak and Balaam and the king and he went and he took him and uh, he was hiring him to curse the people the, the, he was a Midian the people of Israel as they were going through the wilderness and it's, he paid him and he didn't want to go and he's the one that the donkey spoke to and he ends up he says you know I didn't want him to go but it says that when he went up on the hill he was on the mountain he was overlooking all the people and it says and when he saw them in their formation that he had to bless them and not curse them and then I was wondering and I've heard a teaching on it too also, a couple pastors, it saw them in their formation, 
What does that mean? And if you look into it, they had a standard. Every time they would break the, t the tabernacle down and come up, they would set it up and then they would post it. And in numbers, there's, believe it or not, there's numbers. So he tells you how many numbers of people are there. And if you actually do the math, they set people up to the east, north, west, and south. So the tabernacle's in the middle, and then it says directly to the north, directly to the south. And you can actually tell by the standards, the bearers of the, of the sons of the tribes, and the number of people that were in each one. And if you add up the numbers of the people, to the north and to the south was the exact same number of people. And then to the, I forget now, to one direction it was a little bit less, and to the other direction it was a lot more. They actually set up their camp in the shape of a cross. And it says that he was up there looking at it, and he saw the cross. So there's, you can find the cross throughout, like he made reference to Psalm 22, David had Jesus speaking through him from the cross in Psalm 22. Isaiah 53, Abraham offering Isaac. The picture all through the Old Testament was there. They're not getting it. Their own understanding of what they were teaching was all about works, and they were enemies of the cross, which was the only thing that could make them right, just like they killed the one on the cross who was their only hope. And unless he paid it all, there's still a debt, right? And it says not only are they enemies of the cross, but it says whose end is destruction. So if Jesus is not your savior, then you're going to have to be destroyed. There's only two options. You can avoid it. Come to the cross. Come to the cross. Their God is their belly. One of the reasons why they don't want to come. We have desires, lusts, appetites, things that we serve, false gods, right? That's what the Bible calls them. We, we like to, an, the term idol sounds better than I'm going to worship the God of sex, the God of drugs, the God of, they actually were honest and they named them. Except there's the house of Bacchus. Pretty clever name for a liquor store because it's actually, Bacchus was the name of the God of alcohol. So they're, based, they're not making any bones about it. Come worship and buy alcohol from your God that you're worshiping. Here's the liquor store. And the natural man can only mind the things of the earth. Things of the earth are earthy. Things of the spirit are spiritual. You need to have this new birth in order to be able to understand these things so that you can have the mind of Christ so that we can come to the cross. And just to finish up, the cross, it's moved many people. It's the, the mainstay of our, our faith. Not the cross itself, but what Jesus did on it for us. Should be the throne. He is seated. I think that's going to be more glorious and more influential in the rest of our lives than, than the cross was. But that was the gateway. That's the thing that got us there. And uh, I heard... Well, I have a couple hymns here. I'll just pick one um, because there's many. Just to read the lyrics, my wife thought I should acapella you, but I like you too much. <laughs> um, so I had a few, but I'm only going to read the one. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the king. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing and our darkness, now the light of life has come Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Come behold the wondrous mystery, he the perfect son of man, in his living in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam, come to save the hell-bound man. Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law, in him we stand. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree, in the stead in the steed of ruined sinners hangs the lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death, the God of life. But no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected, 
as we will be when he comes. And Father, I just thank you that we have the the hope of life ahead of us, Lord. We say that we can now enter into it if we just let you live through us. And Lord, what a better substitute. Uh, why we were created, the very purpose that you put us here, Lord, so fulfilling, so joyful in your presence to let you have us, Lord, and we fail so often, we know, um, but you are greater than we are, and we thank you for that. We, you are more patient than we are, and we thank you for that, and you're, you're good, and we're not, and we thank you for that, and have your way with us, and uh, help us to experience the resurrection life, even if it means the fellowship of your suffering and, and, and the fellowship of the knowing the death, but also knowing that it will bring the resurrection. Help us to not push away from you. Have your way with us and be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.